Hello, this is Brian from Living in the End Times with Amos and X. As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to follow us on social media. Give us a favorable rating on the podcast app of your choice, say CastBox or Podcast Republic. And most importantly, support us through Patreon at patreon.com slash endtimespodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash endtimespodcast, one word. And thank you in advance. tonight joined by a friend of the pod and uh, CIA operative Joe Lelise. Um I didn't blow his cover because he doesn't have any cover. Uh, we're, we're joined by Joe tonight to continue our um, Joker-centric theme of this entire podcast by discussing Matt Reeves' tw- 2021 film The Batman. Um uh, a brutal letdown from Zach compared to Zack Snyder's Irv, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless interesting because it's like if it, Matt Reeves was sitting down with someone, his writing partner, and just watching or scrolling through Twitter and uh, watching Netflix, and then he wrote a move, a Batman movie based on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say the Zack Snyder one was a way better Kurt Cobain biopic. Which Zack Schneider one? No, I, I don't know. I'm just following the thread. Yeah, the, the <clears throat> Batman versus Superman. He did that, right? Well, yeah. in Batman versus Superman, when uh, Ben Affleck gets depressed, he has sex with a beautiful woman and drinks. Mm-hmm. Whereas when this one gets depressed, he just rewatches video of Selena Kyle and <laughs> doesn't comb his hair out of his eyes. And... and when when Superman is faced with the prospect of having to fuck Amy Adams, he just like destroys the city in a nuclear holocaust. Um, so th- the big problem with this movie is that unlike Zack Snyder's movies, which are remakes of Kevin Smith movies, um, 
I don't know if I floated that theory here, but I'm going to do it again. Joe's familiar, very familiar with it. Uh, so <clears throat> I didn't watch Batman v Superman until the pandemic uh, because I, I couldn't muster the self-hatred to do it. But then um, it, it, when I downloaded the extended cut, it was like, what is it? Like four and a half hours or something. It's like four hours and 25 minutes. So then I was like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. And uh, uh, and then it was clear that it's a Chasing Amy remake. Like, it's just like, I mean, kind of shot for shot in a way. And uh, and I was sort of blown away by how stupid it was. And then I watched this Snyder cut of uh, Justice League, which is hilarious because one of the things he did when he when that they allowed him recut that movie, which is awesome. I mean, that's why Warner brothers rules. They just let people do anything um, and then re-release it is they darkened everything. They literally recolored everything. So it looks darker. Um, that one was, what was that one? That was a remake of, it was half uh Jersey girl. And what was the other one? Was it dogma? I think mm. um, dogma makes sense to me. Yeah, but there was like a Jersey girl thread in there, too. And so then I was like, it was like, this was so transparent. And then I didn't, I but my theory was proven when they released Snyder Cut on HBO Max and they had fucking Kevin Smith interview Zack Snyder. <laughs> um, so that's the big failure of the Batman is it wasn't a remake of fucking Clerks 2 or something. Um, Okay, Kevin, so Kevin, I, Kevin Smith was supposed to write and direct a Superman movie at one time as well. Um, I can't recall if that's also no, the Nick Cage one was the Tim Burton one that never got off the ground. There, Kevin, yeah, Zack Snyder did a Superman movie and it was unwatchable. Yeah, no, I've seen it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> arduous. My, my dad loves that movie though. <laughs> Why? Because of Michael Shannon's question. evil or what? Good, good question. <laughs> I wouldn't look too closely at that. <laughs> well, it's terrifying. It's a terrifying prospect. Um, anyway, again, that problem with that Zack Snyder movie, he wasn't remaking a Kevin Smith movie, so it, it had no balls um, or not enough gay sexual tension. Uh, I don't know where you guys want to start with this. Uh, we could start anywhere. There's plenty of shit to wade through. Well, yeah, that was the thing is that when you asked me to do this to commemorate you know, the passing of time and the, uh, the Joker episode. Um, I found myself, the more I thought about it, the more I was at a loss to say anything meaningful at all about this movie, just because it's such a clusterfuck. Mm. All I could say about it is, I don't know how you guys felt, but I thought the first half was actually pretty okay. And then it goes way off the fucking rails. Um, and I was curious if you guys had an idea about like where it, goes wrong because i think it had all the right pieces uh in place for like a great movie and it just didn't fucking do it for mm -hmm. one reason or another um what i'll let you I, hit I that think... brian it, oh sorry joe go ahead oh uh go ahead brian i'll i'll pipe in after oh i um yeah i would totally agree i mean it started out some, somewhat promising um my i mean there's details we can get into i'll just give it give you the context in which i saw it so i saw this thing um, at, a, at a work event, actually, I went to a movie theater in Chicago, um, and there was nobody there. And so that's my context is watching this uh, late at night in a theater in a big city where there was, I mean, literally, there was nobody else in the theater. And so I walked, I watched it by myself, and I walked out by myself with nobody else, you know, after midnight or whatever it was. And that just kind of felt right. 
So watching the film in that context, it felt like, oh, so here we are, you know, 22 years into the 21st century and everything's, you know, it's all, it's done. Like this, this Batman movie is sort of evidence that, um, the civilization is, you know, in full, in free fall or whatever. Um, and that there's nobody even going to movies anymore. And why would they? Because this film is sort of evidence that it's not really even worth the, the you know, the cost of entry or whatever. So, um, and that colored my entire sort of reading, which is, I mean, equally, I think, uh, negative. Yeah, I, I was actually comparing it in my mind to, I have, I have fairly vivid memories of seeing The Dark Knight in the theaters for the mm. first time. And the energy was electric. Like it was mm -hmm. comparable to being at like a big rock show or something. Um, and this did not have it at all. I wasn't in an empty theater, but I was surprised at how empty it was considering how long the movie had been out. And you could say that's like, people aren't going to movies anymore, but there were a lot of people like in the theater, like the building that day, they just weren't really seeing the Batman. And I like a lot of people like walked out about two hours into it, maybe not a lot of people, but maybe like three or four people just kind of decided to, you know, get out of there before it got, you know, even stupider than it was by that point. Yeah, those people are called cowards and uh, <laughs> I have no I patience with them. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I also so I saw Dark Knight. That was like an event for me. Like mm -hmm. I was this was not the reason I went to Minneapolis, but I saw it in IMAX um like a real imax not these fake ass amc half imaxes like i when i went to suicide squad this summer um which is i like the first suicide squad better and everyone hates it because they're reactionaries um but that's we'll get into that later if need be anyway uh <clears throat> but yeah the i saw the dark knight in the theater three times which i didn't the only other movie I've seen three times in the theater was like no country for old men or something. Um, so, and the dark Knight is our art, obviously a shitty movie. Like it's politically sucks, but it's interesting and Heath Ledger's good and stuff. Uh, is it still like the, the Nolan Batman movies, like it makes more sense that he's gay in those because uh, he you know, like that, that's the gay Batman because Chris Nolan is British and British people have no testosterone in their bodies. So like that tracks like hormonally, but um, Christian Bale is also bringing some of that Patrick Bateman energy with him from American Psycho in the <laughs> Dark Knight. Like it's I wish you I wish there was more, though. I mean, oh, that's me. the thing. Me too, but that's sort yeah. of like um, uh, sort of narcissistic, uh, uh, kind of the way Patrick Bateman carries himself. Yeah. It's like practically the right. same hair. You just well, it's like yeah, yeah. I mean, like that. Just like how the entire um, second phase, first and second phase of the Marvel franchises was just one uh, long gay conversion therapy to make Captain America one of fuck chicks. Um, the the Nolan trilogy was like, it was like the, the idea was like in order for Batman to get laid, you know, he has to like, he has to stop being Batman, which that in that context meant like he's gay, but in this, this, the Batman, he's an incel. Like Joe said off air when at least the Affleck Batman would like fuck women. I mean, that's probably why those movies are so boring because there's not enough, like, homosexual or incel tension going on 
Um, yeah, uh, my buddy Mitch, actually, we were sort of bitching about the direction that the Batman takes about halfway through. And we had the same idea for a different ending, which I won't get into. But he said that, um, at, at least for BVS, people aren't ready for the the Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent like makeout scene. <laughs> I mean, we're ready here because <laughs> right. uh, we're yeah, progressives, yeah. but yeah, no one else is. Um, and like the, yeah. So it's funny to me too, that people hate the Ben Affleck Batman so much because I thought he was funny. Like he was the first, he was the only not humorless Batman since Michael Keaton. Um, like even the animated series, which we agree is like the best version of batman like he's still not funny like even the new movies that are like based on that animation style like it's not it doesn't really like play uh as batman being witty or anything like but this one the batman i was it felt a little bit like the i think what he was really drawing from more was um and failing at it was the 60s batman like the adam west shit um Joe is showing us his uh, version of Zoe Kravitz on the <clears throat> screen just, right now. I just had to uh, move her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, because like the Riddler at least was funny. Like he not mm-hmm. like not was- humorous, but he was like insane. It was like these. It was like really extreme Infowars clips that he would like send to the press. <laughs> no, that was <laughs> the hardest I'd laughed in a theater in like a long ass time. That that interrogation scene near the end. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just like screeching and shit. And the glasses like, over the mask, man. That was the best. <laughs> well, like I was rewatching like a an actually decent rip of the movie just dropped like yesterday. So I was able to like revisit the the Batman because I hadn't seen it in, since opening weekend or whatever. Um and I was like, I <laughs> I forgot how like like they treat Jeffrey Wright as this like loser, like he's the police commissioner, yeah. but like usually, so like commissioner Gor- Gary Oldman as commissioner Gordon was like um, facing a corrupt police department. And so he was like enlisting Batman to help him because Batman had more resources. So at least it was like sane. This was like, it was like Jeffrey Wright's like, come on, man. Like he was like too dumb to be a cop. And so they brought the Batman in, and then the other cops are like, why are you bringing him here? He's an like he's he's insane. <laughs> no, the, the the cops are absolutely moron. I mean, one kind of like I don't know, kind of like script doctoring note that I would have made, uh, you know, were I in the room or whatever was. So they they find the Riddler's apartment, right? And he has all that evidence pointing to who Batman is, and the cops are just like standing there, like, oh, I wonder who Batman is, and that's just like literally says like Bruce Wayne in big letters on the fucking wall, like I don't know. It's also a really bad idea to remake a bunch of David Fincher movies in this way. Like Fincher is already doing pastiche. And if you do pastiche of pastiche, you're a retard. Like it it doesn't really play like he's pulling from like the so he takes like the scariest part of the of Zodiac, which is like the crazy suit that the Zodiac killer wears, which is like this black cloak. And then he's got like a sort of half of a astrology chart on his chest with a cross through it or whatever the fuck and he's like killing people in the park um which fincher made very terrifying just because it was so like striking this was just like let's make uh like i told joe initially like 
I do appreciate that they made like a $200 million movie about QAnon. Like that's awesome and should be <laughs> modded by everyone. Um, but like the annoying part again is like, it just, he, Matt Reeves was clearly just bored during the pandemic rewriting the movie because he wanted to kill himself and was just like watching Netflix and again, scrolling Twitter. Like this was just all of this. It was just a cache of fucking stupid internet bullshit. And that, that was like the disappointing thing. Like I'm not one to be like XYZ is ruining cinema, but this is definitely the first movie of this sort of, you know, caliber in terms of like how big the release was and all that. That was just, um, a sort of ironic, half ironic, uh, list of things on the internet, like patched together with like a fake plot. Like I couldn't tell you what happened to that movie. Like, I don't like the, the QAnon stuff is interesting because, um, have you guys seen the HBO documentary Q like down the rabbit hole or whatever it's called? I, I haven't watched it. No. Okay, it's really good. Uh, I would recommend it. It's produced okay. by Adam McKay. But this guy spent like four years. He was like interviewing all these people and trying to like figure out who Q was. And he got Ron Watkins to admit that he was Q. Um, Ron Watkins is the guy whose dad like owns 8chan or whatever. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> like Ron Watkins is fucking the Riddler. But like the so, you know, like. January 6th is like a psyop, like literally like there were like there was like an ex-army intelligence officer who like brought a congregation of people from North Carolina to the Capitol like there. And then there was all this and they let the people into the Capitol like the cops like open. There's video of them opening the gates and stuff. So like I don't know who's behind that. I have no idea. But um definitely Q was part of why there were so many people there in the first place. And so like the, obviously this movie was trying to stage that sort of um, at the end, like of what I can remember of it. But like, I just think the, Oh, and and then they do that thing where they like, didn't they blow that guy's head off with a bomb? Uh, Okay. That's based on a Duplass brothers, a true crime documentary on Netflix that's worth watching. It's very weird. This guy has like a bomb strapped around his neck and the cops can't tell if it's real or not. And then somebody detonates it and he dies. It blows his head off. There's video the, of it. The, this actually happened. What's that? That that actually happened though. Yeah. Like it's, okay. um, it was like in the seventies or eighties or something. Um, so that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, usually when you do pastiche, you want to kind of like, hide it a little bit like mm-hmm. take the dark knight for example um the scene so there's this movie this fantastic john frankenheimer movie called 52 pickup which i just found you know in the dredges of the torrent world or something that i didn't know about frankenheimer who famously directed uh the manchurian candidate and seconds and uh seven days in may or whatever uh these really great like paranoid political movies <clears throat> But 52 Pickup is about, it's kind of a, it's like an 80s movie that has like this sort of futurist kind of corporate espionage edge. But there's, Jeffrey Wright plays this, there's two villains. One is really evil. It's not Jeffrey Wright, but Jeffrey Wright plays the other villain and he's got his uh, Basquiat dreadlocks 
and uh but there's a scene where like he's in the tv like there was like it's clear that that whole joker scene where he's like referring to the television and he comes in and does the magic trick and all that like that's pulled directly from this frankenheimer movie but you wouldn't know that unless you you know were a big film nerd or whatever that's how you're supposed to make a good movie this movie is just like again just like restaging everything on somebody's twitter timeline right. uh, and and then calling that a movie um the so that's like why it's bad i think um and i think it's a problem aesthetically and politically because like to make a movie that has competing version arguably competing versions of inceldom or incel versus volcel like then what are we even doing here like no one's like and then well i'll get into the epstein shit in a minute but it was just it just failed at its own task like if you're gonna do that it should be very funny and campy i think and then it might be more fun but like the closest they could get to like having a sense of humor was uh batman first of all to your point about the cops being complete morons like you you mean batman had to suggest that they go look at his garage (laughs) and like then they found the murder weapon Mm -hmm. and then they find the thumb drive and the batman's like try this <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh as far as humor goes in the movie i think most of the time it tries to be funny it doesn't really work but i will give a shout out to colin farrell's the penguin which is like that's a performance that belongs in a much much better film yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. the funniest part is the fact that uh you know robert Penn's jerked off all the time off camera that's what, what? i went to see yeah. And then I didn't that, get to wait, see Wait, what? <laughs> well, he said that he, there's like a running joke he's been doing in interviews that they ask him like he's he'll like volunteer how often his character jerks off and they ask him about Batman. He's like, "Oh, a lot, a lot, like two to three times a day." Um <laughs> which means he understands that this right. is like a fake movie about a fucking right. like Volcel or incel loser um yeah. by choice. Like I said off camera, like this is a movie about Baron Trump, like literally like he, you know, we've dispensed with the kind of suburban Batcave. Now the Batcave is somehow in the basement of Trump Tower and he like he rides a motorcycle and he's so brooding. Like when I was rewatching it, it was like I thought it was stupid the first time around, but it it, upon further viewing, it gets like more obviously retarded, like um all of his little monologues he's just like i don't know if i'm doing any good i mean this is literally what an incel thinks that they would be like if they could fight is that they'd go into the subway and just start beating up gangs of immigrants and then like yeah, like when he goes into the cl- when he goes in the club and his what like he doesn't try to sneak into the club he just starts beating the shit out of everybody and then people start shooting at him and then the penguin slash Harvey Weinstein is like, oh, hey, come to my office. Hey. Yeah. Um, you guys Spanish socks. <laughs> it, it's just like, wh- why? I don't even know what I was watching. I mean, well, that's, fu- that's fine. It's fun. But like, I, I don't know how far I could get in them. Oh, and then he's like watching Zoe. Also, the incel thing is like, that's what an incel. That's how they think seduction works. It's like you start punching her in the face and then throwing her on a table and then like 
putting your hand over her mouth to avoid a security guard. And then you're going to go back to her place and find her dead Russiagate uh, roommate or, or like your the ransacked um, apartment <clears throat> with the Russiagate plant roommate gone. And then you're just going to like drink a glass of milk and not fuck her. Like that's what they think. That's how they think talking to women works is like samurai sword fighting or something yeah you know the the closest movie to my heart <clears throat> you know of of batman movies and maybe just the closest movie to my heart in general is batman returns and the dynamic between catwoman and batman in that movie very very different uh right she's like, she has borderline personality disorder and michael keaton's just like immensely horny yeah so it's like <laughs> It's much better. Yeah, like, much much more relatable for me personally. So, it's like yeah, it's a mo- way more like if Batman was Irish Catholic from Boston, like this is what would happen, which is perfectly acceptable to me. Um, yeah, I was hoping that this episode could serve more as a sequel to the the, the Departed episode than than the Joker episode. But we'll see where it goes. Well, yeah, I mean that the problem with the Joker is that it was good. You know, and it, I know it was like well made and it had actual acting in it. And like, like it sucks because Zoe Kravitz is really good. And it's mm-hmm. not her fault that this movie is so stupid, but like compared to like Zazie Beats, who's just fantastic in the joke in Joker, um, this is just like it's kind of it's a joke. I mean, I don't mean to be like overly ironic, but um yeah, uh, Catwoman was the only character that felt like she was acting rationally, and also right. uh, pretty much the only thing mm-hmm. keeping my eyes to the screen after a certain point was like, oh, I yeah. might be able to see more Zoe Kravitz at some point. I hope oh, they give her sure. her own movie and it doesn't suck shit. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, I, I mean, I can't even answer your question, Joe, about when it went off the rails because I, I mean, I didn't get up and walk out to Amos's point, but I, I kind of stopped paying attention, so I don't even know what happens in the second half of the movie. Um, but the, I mean, to the earlier point too, the only thing about this being a joke, the only thing that made sense to me on watching was that this must be, these must be, Matt Reeves is trying to make a comedy. Like he's trying to make jokes here, but they're just not, they're falling flat for whatever reason, but this is supposed to be funny. It's not because otherwise, otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. And so, um, yeah, it felt like there was, it felt like there was this tension between wanting to do like a noirish uh, year one long Halloween style Batman, but also like bring back like the Adam West, like wacky, like mm-hmm. Batman. And obviously those aren't going to like go well together, but some, some better director probably could make it work to some degree. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, the pro, I mean, what's so depressing about this, like Paul Dano's really good because Paul Dano's really good and he's good at screaming and being crazy. Um, Pattinson is probably the best act millennial actor and they just mm-hmm. completely flattened him out. Like there was just nothing happening the entire time and it wasn't him being goth. Like he was clearly instructed to like be mm-hmm. boring and yeah. worthless. And then have like, been, go ahead. Oh, have you seen, you seen good time? Yeah. 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 Brian, have you seen good time? No, he can not. Cl- clearly play an unhinged sleep deprived, mm-hmm. uh, protagonist a lot better than than this mm. shit or the lighthouse character even oh yeah absolutely yeah 
I mean, truly, like any. I mean, I haven't seen Twilight, so I assume they suck. But like, I don't hate. You know, he's rich. Good for him, and he got a huge career out of it. So no shade to him, but like, I'm just saying. Aside from that, everything else that I've seen him in is just fantastic. Like he's just amazing. Uh, and this was just like they put the Blade Runner Pris makeup on him with the airbrush, and then he just they told him to shut the fuck up. And it's like. I don't, I mean, the same kind of thing happened with Christian. Christian Bale was at least kind of funny in those Nolan movies. Um, even though, like, he's a much better actor than he was in those movies overall. Uh, but yeah, this, I, I just don't even see the the purpose of this. Like the, yeah. like you said, Joe, um, are they trying to do, if you're talking about the long Halloween, have you seen the anim, uh, animated version of that? No, I've, I've okay. I only read the graphic novel like a long time ago. Yeah, because um, that one doesn't work as well as some of the other movies, in my opinion. But uh, I see, I think I see what you're saying with the, it's more like dark or whatever. But um, yeah, well, the, it, Adam- it's oh yeah. Well, it just felt like they wanted to focus on Batman more as a detective, and I don't know if it was like studio meddling or just incompetence, but it didn't really go that way and it's unfortunate because like i said a lot of the pieces were in place to make like a good noir kind of detective movie the scene where uh catwoman is going through the club and has the contacts in i think that was my favorite shit in the movie Uh, and i felt like i needed a lot more of that and it didn't give me it so you mean because he got to be trans for a minute and just (laughs) test it out yeah absolutely (laughs) which is probably what he's really after here Mm -hmm. it's just sublimated desire to be trans which is probably all incels in the end like the misogyny is about hating obviously projecting their own self-hatred in a very like boring and gross direction of just being like overtly misogynist yeah and recognizing the social ascendancy of, of women uh in, in well, yeah. I mean, you can like tell when the movies here's when the movie went off the rails. It wasn't after the first hour. It was like after the first 35 minutes when Batman, his big detective work was to be like to look at her boots and compare them to the Russiagate plants boots. And it's the so that was their women be shopping, you know, moment in the movie. <laughs> Like you could tell how bad a movie is, a superhero movie is by how long it takes them to press the women be shopping button. So arguably Black Widow is better because it took 20 more minutes and that was full of women. Um, but OK, so let so now politically uh, now I have to talk about Morbius a little bit. So um, and I, I'm doing this because, well, uh, let me just pre Well, I'll talk about Morbius first. So. Morbius is very funny the first hour because it's Jared Leto being like very weird and creepy, which is perfect right up his alley. Um, it's about this kid who ends up in an orphanage uh, in in Greece, and his buddy is this like rich British kid, and they both have this blood disease, so they have to get like I don't know they have to get blood transfusions all the time, and then their lifespan's really short. So Morbius becomes uh, like biologist. Yeah, molecular biologist and he's trying to like he ends up inventing artificial blood which um he can use which is helps everyone but he can use i think he wins a nobel prize or something and then he starts experimenting with vampire bats to try and find a cure for this blood disease and he does but of course it turns him into an actual vampire 
Um, and then his his friend, this British friend, like when he goes to visit him, his British friends all fucked up because he's dying of this blood disease and they're both in their 30s. And he kind of looks like uh, Prince Philip. And then Morbius, he forces, I think he steals the cure because Morbius doesn't want to give him the cure because it makes you a vampire and you have to eat blood. But Morbius has like this locker full of artificial and real blood because he's a scientist. He also has this like cylinder (laughs) that's full of bats that are flying constantly. Like he has his own bat cave, (laughs) but it's like for science. Um, And he's got this sexy Latina doctor that he works with. And then, oh, in order for him to inject the serum into himself, he has to get on a ship in international waters because it's illegal for him to, like, medically do this to himself. And so you see the Epstein uh, (laughs) through line here. Um, Also, um, it's funny. So Peter Thiel does that in real life. I don't know if you know that. Well, I know that he injects young people's blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had this false memory. I don't know if you know also about this but jared leto has like an island cult or some shit if i knew you were going to talk about morbius uh, but yeah he had some sort of like new agey cult on an island but i could have swore he was one of the guys who was injecting young people's blood with peter Thiel. but i can't find anything about it on the internet and i choose to think they just scrubbed it from the internet well i think i mean they all do that shit to like tom brady does i think tom brady does that openly um like once you get rich enough, that's just like your next move. So if they did scrub it, that would be interesting because like, why, who cares? Like you just, yeah. it's just another sign of being rich in this, you know, neoliberal hellscape, um, neo-feudal, whatever. Uh, so, so what, okay, here's what, and this is one problem I had with Batman. The Batman is like, I thought when they started uncovering so when they figured out that Paul Dano was an orphan or whatever that I don't even remember uh, what the specific thing was, but they go to the orphanage and they're finding footage and stuff like it was clearly this QAnon thing where like you have all these clues, and, like the riddles and stuff like all. Of, and he's posting online and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just very clearly QAnon. But like, I thought it was going to they were going to start talking about pedophiles. And I was like, oh, this might be like really good like this might actually kind of be subversive if they would try to like connect elite the elites and pedophilia and sex trafficking and all that and then they just completely didn't do that at all like that all just went away immediately um and then so like when i was watching morbius i was like oh this is like the same movie except they're they're just staging the pedophiles directly because as soon as the prince philip character got the treatment he looked like prince andrew so like he goes from like a hundred years old looking to like prince andrew in those photos of with the underage girls on the fucking pedophile islander on the boat or whatever and uh but morbius unfortunately falls apart really quickly like because it just becomes a battle between morbius and the prince philip guy and they're just like beating the shit out of each other for like an hour and it's like it's very boring um but the like the the way it was like what was missing from the batman morbius staged so they're like two sides of the same coin even though they both fail at their task and what i think the reason i was saying it like gets so much stupider rewatching the batman is because 
the very obvious, you know, problem, which you've dis- we discussed in the last episode you were on, Joe, about Joker, uh, was like the fact that there's this class struggle that's like um, sublated into this stupid bullshit about fighting crime. Like what? Like even when so when Batman's out at night at first and he's like, you know, I'm vengeance or whatever the fuck. He doesn't seem to be helping anyone. Like a lot of the people he's going after are doing graffiti that seems sort of class conscious slightly. Like that guy's in that weird like um scarecrow mask and then he's like spray painting on the pillars. And then he gets scared cuz he sees the bat signal. And then I mean those those guys who are beating the shit out of or they were going to beat up that Asian dude in the subway. Like okay, that's violent, but also like they're clearly just like French immigrants in the suburbs. Like it's like that justice stress video. Like it's not there's there's not any like identifiable social ill that's happening except that crime is bad, and so what this was staging is just like the the sort of at this point it's almost a meme. Like people talking online about how like you know the billionaires fighting crime rather than trying to actually fix the social problems, which of course that's what Robin is doing in the Batman comics, but he won't be able, you know, Batman keeps preventing him from like killing the Joker or, you know, doing controlling the drug trade so he can like make it less dangerous and actually reduce crime and stuff like that. Um, And then like the, you know, he, he sort of like this and then they put like, the Colin Farrell Falcone wines, like literally like a sketch of Harvey Weinstein on the screen. Batman's response is to just immediately start working with him. Not like, <laughs> like he's watching him deal drugs, yeah. which is to Batman, like the worst thing you can do. And he doesn't give a shit. Like he doesn't even acknowledge that it's happening. He's more like he, his, his response is to go stalk Zoe Kravitz and watch her get undressed and then try to beat the fuck out of her when she's trying to help her trafficked, you know, Russiagate plant uh, out of the country. Who gets um, killed because of Batman's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh right because of the thumb drive if he yeah, had yeah. the thumb drive she wouldn't have got killed yeah, she, yeah. she would have been fine they don't say everything <laughs> this this kind of brings to mind like i won't go too in depth because it's just been a long time but there's a there's a story arc in the comics where um and it's kind of like a like a what if scenario but there's a it's like a series of three kind of graphic novel length stories that have to do with like dracula coming to gotham city Batman becomes a vampire because it's like the only way he can really like fight off Dracula. And then over time, he's not able to like uh, suppress his, his bloodlust anymore. So he ends up murdering uh, all of the rogues gallery. And he realizes during that process that his ethics were completely bullshit, like from the beginning. And then he just kind of lets the bat family like finish him off and kill him. Mm. And yeah, I'd recommend it if you haven't read it. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he deserves to die. That's for sure. I was yeah, going to say, but, yeah. no, go ahead. Oh, no, I just after he's murdered all the rogues gallery that he should have murdered a long time ago. Yeah, I was just going to yeah. say that. I mean, that would have been a much more interesting way for this film, too, is just that has he's dead at the end, right? <laughs> then there would have been some sort of something interesting happening. To the subway scene point, Amos, I was going to say, too, there, the film seems to gesture toward 
this, that I think it was the African American looking character, the black guy, who's like, who's not want a part of this. He doesn't want to beat up this other uh, fellow immigrant or something. And then, like, there's there's a hint that something's going to happen there that's politically relevant or interesting, and then they just drop it and it goes away, and you never see that character again. Yeah, right? I, I kept waiting for him to come back too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, and that's so that scene and all these other ones, Amos before. Um, before I saw it, you you'd said, "Yeah, it's interesting. Let's go watch it." Uh, but it's a very modern film, uh, and, and you meant that in a problematic way. And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." So I was, you know, I was thinking about that as I saw it, and and I think you're right. From we've discussed the pastiche nature of it, but uh, Catwoman makes reference to white privilege, and there's obviously the oh, yeah. online QAnon <laughs> stuff. There's at the end, like the oh, the flood is coming, and Batman saving people with climate change. How <laughs> you could destroy the city, like, and all that stuff is just thrown together with this '90s song. Um, but then almost, I mean, and the result is almost zero political content, which just baffles me. I don't understand in, in the end what what was going on there. Well, I think I said, I assume I said postmodern. Oh, maybe you did. But uh, I, I don't remember. Or contemporary, it, whatever. I forget the word. You oh, yeah. Contemporary. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely contemporary. Yeah. I forgot about Zoe Kravitz white privilege thing. I mean, I was so horny for her and then she just had to go. Like, what are you doing? Like the thing, the reason that didn't make any fucking sense is the same reason, like saying that when you're talking to rich people doesn't make any sense. The problem isn't that they have a white privilege. The problem is that they can like, like if Batman wanted or Bruce Wayne wanted to, he could have anyone killed at any time and just buried or what, you know, or just he could bust a union or he could buy Twitter or whatever the fuck he want that that's not because he's white that's because uh there's a class war um and they staged her as not being that stupid the whole time until that moment right like the, the net effect of her being like thirsty for batman was that she got dumber as the movie went on like she was actually trying to help her tra- human traffic friend get out of a situation and batman's like no deal uh and like (laughs) so she kind of got turned into this woke retard um that's the real tragedy of it maybe but without like intending to do so or well the other tragedy that the riddler didn't win of course uh, or at least not this round like the the like i don't even understand i know that it's sort of just repeating um like i remember so when i (laughs) here's a horrible story when i was going to batman begins in the theater uh with some people there were these other kids that we kind of knew that like went to the other high school and i hated one of them because he's like a fucking he's he's an asshole and also just an idiot but uh he started saying unironically like he's like he's like yeah man what i like about batman is he like uses the the villains fear against their own fear against them like he was saying something insightful um and it's like (laughs) i mean so you know you you probably feels disgusted by that as i do but uh you know it's shameless in a bad way but it's like what they're afraid because you're going to murder them for spray painting a pillar (laughs) like (laughs) that's because you're insane like the only like good part about this movie at that level the only like edge and they didn't really stick with it is that batman seems very crazed in this movie more so than any other batman like even the adam west was like he was like so like 
gay and theatrical. Like you, you didn't think he was crazy. He was just like obscene and like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but this Batman, like, what's his big fucking uh like heroic movement? Like the the action climax of the movie is when he takes his Dodge Charger and tries to heather hire fucking uh, murder, mow down um like in Charlottesville, uh Falcone. And it doesn't even work. He doesn't even kill him, does he? John yeah. John Saturo looks like he was brought in on a dolly for this movie, like he doesn't know where he is. <laughs> And he doesn't, and I don't blame him. Like he probably just does not give a single fuck. But I was like, what the fuck is he doing in this movie? Yeah. Like it was really, Bruce, really distracting. You mean like aphasia era Bruce Willis being like fed line after line? Um, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like it, that was like literally they pulled that car chase scene out of Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. And like, why are you? You know, it's one thing to make a movie about incels. It's quite another to be like basically pro fascist. And then the like what's what's batman's redemption arc like he finds some you know that scene in the gym where Lori lightfoot was like giving her speech or whatever and then he like pulls that thing off and like he's like supposedly rescuing it you know it looks like a shipping container full of human traffic people but it was like in the gym and it's like but that's what that's how incels see themselves is like they think that their inhumanity is justified because no one will fuck them but then like they have like a moment of human connection and then they realize oh maybe people deserve to live maybe maybe they have feelings too like i i was watching this thing about some serial killer and they they said that or somebody was like i can't remember what it was but somehow oh so richard ramirez his some of the women that were in love with him you know, they would like write him letters all the time. And then he would talk to them. And he said in an interview that like, it wasn't after until after he was in prison that he realized that women had feelings. Um, And th- that is what this Batman feels like, where it's like, you have to, like Brian was saying, like you, you have to literally flood the city and like set everything on fire um, before he can like have a feeling but it's worth it because he had that feeling yeah he's very self-congratulatory at the end as like people around him are like drowning to death and and, and the penguin is clearly poised to like take over a chunk of the city and shit it makes no sense oh i'm sorry you were at falcone i was sorry i was falcone when i said weinstein i meant uh cobble pot i meant the penguin looks like weinstein yeah i was, uh, I was a little confused but okay, yeah I, I get you yeah. my my point about john turturro stands like what the fuck are you doing in this no hundred yeah that well and also like in the animated stuff which is probably close to the comics like the falcone character is way more like looks like the like uh colin farrell and is kind of like blathering and just like hey like he's like tony soprano or some shit mm-hmm. um but i also like how they you know, the, so the reason to so the Cobblepot uh, character, um, like, and the mob ties, like, in Batman working with him again. This is like this. This is how the CIA operates. This is how like they run people and stuff. So, the closest they got to the fucking Epstein shit in this one, I felt like, was at the beginning, where after Baron ascends from his basement dwelling, deplorable lair of bats in the Trump Tower. He the he lives in this fucking like gothic 
uh, Acropolis in like it's like a mm-hmm. Tim Burton movie, and yeah. I had like turned to friend of the pod Scott when we were watching this, and I was just like, <laughs> you know, like we have got to redecorate Alfred. Like, what the? Fu- Why would you yeah. live in that? Like, who would build that? First of all, <laughs> it's like a belfry or something. Um, without the hilariousness of Jack Nicholson, be like, <laughs> you ever dance with the devil? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the, Ke- ah, the Keaton's Batman has a very tasteful Wayne Manor, if mm. I remember correctly. <laughs> well, no... I, at least I'll say this: at least it fucking made sense. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. like it's you know, like Tim Burton can pull it off because he's insane and he like mm-hmm. walks around in like a psychedelic fever dream. Like I was thinking about uh, Beetlejuice on the way to record here, and like, or well, more specifically, Edward Scissorhands. Like, what's funny about that movie is. They live in this sort of modern uh, suburban, like perf- everything's perfectly, uh, you know, manicured and shit. And then for some reason, somehow there's like this uh, 18th century Gothic manor on a hill that like no one goes to as though the property developers wouldn't have like napalmed that thing like the first <laughs> second that they got there. Um like that's why it's funny though because it's like insane and it doesn't make any sense whereas this we're supposed to accept somehow that like batman with all his wealth would choose to live in this like freak show of like a an apartment as though that building would be allowed to survive in downtown chicago like unimpeded for all this time like just for its own sake uh it would have been funny if there was like bats flying around in there like just like getting into their cereal and shit but they didn't even have the balls to do that like that's where i i don't even i do i truly did not understand what the fuck i was watching um you know the only part that made sense was when the and, and it doesn't make sense in reality but like aesthetically it was like the floods come and they take everything over and then it's like a wildfire haze across the whole city like yes that's what portland will look like in three years uh when the oceans like rise six meters or what rate increase six meters or whatever and the wildfires consume everything um but like there wasn't even that i don't know it, it was just so baffling like the Lori lightfoot character was terrible uh, as a trope Real, because yep. Like Tim Dillon points out, he's like, he loves Lori Lightfoot now because she's such a goon. Like, all these, ta- like, there was a recording of her, like, berating her driver and, like, calling the company and, like, trying to get him fired and shit just because he didn't, like, do one thing perfectly for her or something. And she was just shit faced. And then she's, like, charging all this money and, like, hooking up with women on the Chicago's dime in hotel rooms and shit like that. Like, that's funny. But, uh, the idea here was like, if you get a black mayor, a woman, black woman, mayor, of Chicago, like <clears throat> Paul Dano will literally blow the dams and the city will be swallowed by the ocean. <laughs> like, yeah, again, I saw, I, I was sent to Chicago on a work thing. And so that's where I saw the film and I, in the hotel I was in, yeah, I watched a Batman movie. It came home and I, you know, opened the shades and looked at the window, getting ready for bed. And there's, there's the Trump tower. I'm staring at the Trump tower. I'm like, Oh, there he is. Like I was, I just saw that guy on the screen. Right. Um, but to, to Joe's point about the self-congratulatory nature of this character, who's just rich and just kind of runs around running amok being silly. 
I, because I was depressed or something too, um, on the road, as it were, I watched, I rewatched uh, hypernormalization. Um, and I was Oof. thinking of that too. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's exactly what this film in a way, I don't know if this mm. is a political uh, commentary that's, that's valuable in the film, but it's, it's staging the notion that the, the rich, the elites, like they have no idea what to do anymore. And they're just withdrawing into their goofy fantasies. And again, whether Matt Reeves is doing that intentionally as a critique of the elites or, or capital or something, I don't think so. I think that's maybe just incidental um, to this particular film, but that seems to be the same. The outcome is the same as we see, we see a Batman who's an incel and just doesn't know what to do with all his money and time and wealth. And it's just, you know, again, punching guys on the subway, right? And it's ineffectual. Um, and so the flood is still going to happen is kind of the, the end. Also, what year is this supposed to take place in? Because yeah. what, what, what it like, I know that Gotham's sort of like a amalgamation of Chicago and New York, but it's obviously more Chicago. Like that's where they film all this shit it's ever since the Nolan movies. Um, but like, let's say it's New York. There's no flood wall. There's no seawall holding this. Like, is this supposed to be 40? Is this literally supposed to be Baron Trump? Like, in like the, you yeah, know, I was thinking about that too, because I, I, I tend to think of Philadelphia a little bit more than Chicago, but mm. it felt like it's like Philadelphia was placed where New Orleans is or some shit. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah, but the cars look like they're from the 80s, except for <laughs> the Batmobile. And then there's a thumb drive. Like, it's sort of mm-hmm. confused. He's like, what are you looking for? A USB port. <laughs> Gordon <laughs> goes, USB. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> I was like, does he not know what a computer is? Like, I, li- I, yeah, I live in a city that's kind of like that. But <laughs> yeah, this doesn't work in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just, I, I'm like, I was thinking about Joker because I watched um, The King of Comedy this summer, which, you know, everybody was saying, Joker was like Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. It was like 100% King of Comedy, which is a much darker movie than Taxi Driver, uh, like in every possible way. Um, It's a lot harder to get through. It's like almost kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in like, who is that? Who's the woman in that movie? Um, Gina Gershon or no. um, She's like in a network, isn't it? I forget. No. No, uh, fuck. It doesn't matter. But she's like, like De Niro plays this like crazy fanboy of like the Johnny Carson character, and so does she. And then they're sort of like competing and stuff. But um, what what I'm saying is like, if you're gonna like remake a movie and like give it a twist, like that's the one to do. You know, like you have to pick something good. Like, of course, I love Fincher and like Seven's great and all that, but like, it doesn't you don't need to remake something that's already postmodern and like sort of over the top um, in its stylization and kind of cartoonish dimension, which is like, again, why like, I like, th- I feel like, and then, so then, so this is like a, f- this is a failure at even trying to get close to an Epstein movie. Cause they won't ever reckon with a class problem. Um, it's all covered up in this movie, meaning like, yeah you have the the war is between the sort of uh the bourgeois progressive batman uh slash reactionary and then dano who's like the 
um, working class reactionary, but like there's no left available. It's just simply you can either destroy this city or you can murder a bunch of immigrants. Like those are your choices. Um, and Zoe Kravitz would have been the left character, but she got, you know, her brain poisoned by woke Twitter or whatever in the form of Batman. Um, and then the, the other, you know, side of that coin, like I said, was, and, and the Epstein thing is important only because that's sort of like the, that's the, the, the thin sliver of like the veneer of power slipping. That's why that was such a big deal is like, you actually see how the ruling class operates and that like, you know, he was killed by the Mossad in like the most secure prison in New York. Um, and like that sort of accepted as true and nobody can cover it up. So all they can do is just the media just stops talking about it. Um, and then in Morbius, it's just like, it just becomes like this interpersonal warfare uh, about like, like basically being um, different versions of being decadent. Like either you live forever, but you have to drink blood or because you can live forever, you just, feeding on people's throats literally uh and then turning them into vampires so it's just like you know the the epstein type guy is the villain but like there's no resolution or no possible resolution and then like the worst epstein movie is the me too black widow movie which uh, on the one hand is really funny because it's it's like 30 percent of it is just shots of scarlett johansson's ass um like walking which is fantastic i'm not complaining but then it's supposed to be this like uh and then the the they're all like russian you know and so she has like her family of like half superhero russian like it's all like um it's like the it's funny that florence Pugh is in that movie because she's in this other movie about a family of wrestlers and it's kind of like a remake of that movie but then they do this me too arc at the end that is so fucking retarded like they try to stage epstein but it ends up just being like about girl bossing your way through and then like they like the epstein guy's bad but you know sort of like hope reigns eternal or something and like the you know superhero movies were never good in the first place like that's very obvious they're they're not like high art or anything and that's why i like them is because they're fucking stupid but now it seems like they can't even operate on their own terms so now they have to like shellac this social justice bullshit on top of it without actually addressing anything and i mean zizek's made that point for many years in his own way like but he was talking about it in terms of like he hates when superhero movies try to stage some inner life for these people, like the point is that they're just these avatars and that's kind of what they should remain. But what I'm saying is like, I feel like with the first two phases of Marvel, like it was a lot of it was kind of ironic and self-referencing like, mm-hmm. and they were, they weren't breaking the fourth wall all the time, but they might as well have been. Cause it was like a lot of like, Robert Downey Jr. like nudging John Favreau like it wasn't that cool like that's much more entertaining than whatever the fuck we're being subjected to now uh like and I think this started in earnest with Black Panther where it's like we're clearly going to start casting actors because they're black and it doesn't matter how bad they are and I'm not talking about Michael B Jordan or the Black Panther dude who died I'm talking about like the women who now they're getting their own movies and they're like terrible actors. Um, 
And so like there's it's like Disney. I mean, it's like my theory for why Weinstein went down when he did isn't had nothing to do with anything that he did. It was I think it was an operation to like they were trying to finalize the Disney 20th Century Fox merger, which I'm pretty sure is the biggest merger in entertainment history. And to distract from that, they figured out a way to blow this Weinstein thing up and to start talking about sexual exploitation in Hollywood while finalizing this huge deal that like Mm -hmm. basically uh, whoever is the chairman of Disney can control the weather uh, in terms of the media now. And so like the, the levels of cynicism that are at play now, I think are kind of, you know, insurmountable not that they weren't before, but it's just like the powers consolidated so greatly. Like that's why it's amazing to me that we're, we're living through this moment where like, I want Elon Musk to buy Twitter because he will fucking destroy it without trying to. And that will be a massive social good. Um, and hopefully he'll torch his own wealth in the process, but more to the point, like these supposedly reaction quote unquote, reactionary racist truckers in Canada, are the only sort of militant working class people around and they're right. Like they, they happen to be right about what they're after. Um, the, the, the supposed like supposedly conspiracist right-wing reactionaries like Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson are the only people in America who are pro or anti-war who want to prevent world war three. Um, and now the right-wingers are, have turned on Disney because they're being force fed this woke Disney bullshit, which, and they're rightly pointing out, Hey, look at all these Disney employees who literally got, or have been indicted for fucking sex crimes against children, which of course we all knew that was happening all the time. Like why it's not an accident that like, you know, college gymnastics teams are like seething with sexual predators because that's what sexual predators do. They prey on people that they're after. Um, but it's on, the whistle's only getting blown now by the supposed like right wing reactionaries because the left is so in love with, with itself and doesn't give a shit about anything. So the moral compass or whatever is is solely in the possession of the right. Like as stupid and crazy as QAnon might be, they were never dangerous. And the proof of that is like how st- like pathetic January 6th was. Like the the most crazy thing they could think of to do was like to take a shit in Nancy Pelosi's garbage can, which is funny. That is very <laughs> funny. Yeah. But it doesn't change the power relations. Um, and it certainly is not a threat to the sovereignty of the the political system or whatever the fuck. And so <clears throat> sort of like message, in, yeah, in general, I'm just <laughs> saying, like, how did no. we how did we end up in a scenario where like the only people like even coming close to telling the the only people critical of the FBI and CIA now are on Infowars, like that that should be that should herald a massive problem for the left, but of course it doesn't because you know orange man bad. To you, Joe. Oh God, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, man. I don't know. I remember, you know what. Thing is, is, I remember when January 6th was going down, as it was happening, I remember being kind of concerned because it felt like it could lead something bigger and more dangerous, but it didn't. And afterward, I didn't 
carry that fear with me into the future, but it seems like the vast majority of people uh, did. Um, and yeah, I'm, 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 I'm surprised at, I'm really disappointed with the left. I, I, if, if you go decades where you know the intelligence agencies are infiltrating your movements, you know, gaslighting your leaders and shit, but you somehow can't imagine that they might do the same thing to the right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, it just doesn't feel salvageable to me. I don't have a whole lot to say about it at this point because it just feels like fucking hopeless. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, we sort of, the longtime listener will know we've sort of covered that 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 issue on, on this on this program and we're kind of done with with the left uh, as it were i mean insofar as it exists which it doesn't and that's obviously a big big problem i was just going to ask or maybe shift gears a bit and ask you about the back to the the joker stuff the deleted scene at the end of the batman if if there's if there's any potential uh salvation embedded within that did you see in that um you know a, a signal that maybe there's something much more interesting politically coming or is it is it it's still just uh you know, superficial and, and kind of nonsense. Well, my take on that scene is almost like, like I feel like they should have left it in, but it also feels like a scene from a better movie. Like, um, it feels like it it calls out the themes of a movie that they ended up not making. And so I could see why they took it out. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I just thought at the end when when Paul Dano was getting like interrogated before the, the flood walls burst, I thought for sure that he had worked something out with the dirty cops and the penguin was going to take control of the police station and they were going to hold Gordon hostage and he and Catwoman were going to go get Gordon. Um, I thought that would make a lot more sense thematically Batman punching his way through a police station. Um, but then they just did the big dumb social justice ending. So uh I like the guy who plays the Joker in that scene. I'd, it, I'd like to see him in the second movie uh, with a different director, maybe. <laughs> Again, I have to defend Jared Leto. Like, I think the more interesting post credit scene was when uh, at the end of the Snyder cut, when they like they're oh, absolutely they're, they're in a different time. I don't know if you, have you seen that, Brian? No, I haven't. So they're like in a di- the timeline where Metropolis gets nuked or whatever the fuck happens and uh or it's i think it's metropolis and like they're on the outskirts of the city batman and and they have the joker and he's arrested and he starts like talking shit to batman um and then batman like and it gets really intense like it was like again that's like a four hour movie and like the most intense part was that 30 seconds where the joker where jared leto's joker was just going in on batman and then Batman like wakes up from the dream that he's having. Um, <clears throat> there's potential there, uh, I think, but like, I I don't even. I mean, it was, it's it's nice to have the Joker in there like ranting and shit, but I just feel like it's more. It's it's ultimately obfuscation, and unless they have the Joker be like you know Assange again or something interesting, like. I understand that we've talked at, at length about like how bad the left is, but I, you know, I, I partially have to keep bringing it up because like, if this is the deadlock that we keep running into, um, we're fucked. 
like you know not that that's news to anyone on this you know recording but like what is the way out is there a way out like what where are you know i was talking to a longtime comrade militant type and they were basically at the point of saying like not even having much hope for you know a way out of any of this and that's why like you know we're we're walking into i think this is it's just mind bending that we're walking into a scenario where like artificial inflation is going to bankrupt everyone and get us to the almost on the brink of food riots while world war 3 is being prepared by probably obama wearing a joe biden mask um and there's no anti-war response except on the quote unquote far right so the, the if if we're to abandon the left which i'm fine with doing then there has to be some sort of political realignment or there or rather has to meaning there will be deductively so then what sh- what should we be even demanding of that or you know what i'm saying like i'm just trying to think through what comes next uh when we're presented again with our choices are woke liberal bourgeois batman and like working class paranoid deranged paul dano like the, <laughs> that it's not just what this film is staging i mean that is the deadlock so yeah. then what's yeah. the third way what's the or not third way but like what's the alternative well, I, I, don't, I don't know yeah i don't either i don't, I don't, either, man. I don't yeah. mean to suggest i didn't mean to suggest that we shouldn't keep bringing that up um yeah i i agree i mean if some someone's got to do it right someone's got to point <laughs> these these facts out but right um yeah i don't i don't have a way out other than i think we've also discussed on the show ways in which i you know it's it's the, the things that are happening on the right, the, the the Canadian truckers, for instance, these are opportunities and openings that whatever you know remnants are vestiges of the left to still exist should be using as um, as a way in. Um, I mean, there's huge opportunity there if we would just take it, right? But the you know, it just takes yeah. it takes too much work on the one hand, and I don't know if people on the left are sort of interested in that actual labor anymore, uh, the on the ground sort of organizing. But also, um, there's just too much. Um, I suppose they're just too detached from working class to really even understand that these are the people you need to talk to. Um, well, so it's going to require an entirely, to your point, Amos, an entirely new uh, dimension or new sort of uh, idea to emerge. And it's not we're not there yet, but we're getting there. Mm. I I feel like a lot of people on the left have thoroughly like dehumanized the working class. Like mm-hmm. they don't even really think of them as like people. And I don't know if it's like their anxiety about the fact that they don't know how to like hitch a trailer to a truck or something. Like I it's uh there's like a kind of like a cowardice there that I don't really know how to overcome. Like they don't even want to talk to these people at all. Like um and that's happening in families now. Um it didn't used to seem as normal to hear about cutting off family members for political opinions, but it's fairly normal now. Yeah. And I don't know where that's coming from or what to do about it, but it reminded me, it reminds me of, uh, in the, in Zizek's living in the end times, he, or maybe it was in the defense of lost causes, which living the end times is kind of a sequel to 2010 and then 2007. Um, he said something about how like, he's like smart liberals, uh, like, you know, the lefties to kind of be like, 
and I'm guilty of this too. Like, you know, when are, when are people going to like kind of wake up and when are the masses going to rise and like start paying attention to this? And he was pointing out that in, uh, intelligent liberals dreaded that because it's going to get like so much worse once that happens. And now I think that's what we're seeing mm-hmm. to your point, Joe, like where people are, and I'm not blaming this on the working class people being like polit- being more openly politicized, uh, both self-politicized and othered. But like the problem is when the liberals got pissed off and decided that normalcy had ceased to exist. And like that's when all this shit really went nuts, which is just, you know, Trump like the everyone, almost everyone completely lost their minds. Uh, and, you know in my joker fight state of course i loved it because donald trump is he's first of all infallible um but he's you know he's hilarious and uh and he didn't start any fucking wars like you know i was on ironically like you repeat are you lunatics listening to hillary clinton she wants to invade seven countries like she's saying it out loud and that's exactly what happened as soon as biden gets the fucking resolute desk uh as he's literally shitting his pants uh, and doesn't know where he is like we're uh, entering into World War Three. So the I mean, it, it is a strange I guess the I mean, to answer my own question, sort of like the the pre precursor to a realignment is like, you know, the fact that Glenn Greenwald is a fascist now and Tucker Carlson's a fascist and Alex Jones is a fascist and Matt Taibbi, who I don't really like, is a fascist like is Chris Hedges a fascist next? Like, is anybody who is, I mean, Jimmy Dore is supposedly a right winger, like, and what do these people have in common? They're actually trying to be whistleblowers in their own, you know, way. And like Tucker may be cynical to some degree, but like Jimmy Dore said, he asked him, he's like, how can you talk about this? Don't your advertisers get pissed? He's like, I've already lost all my advertisers. Uh, So Meaning like he has a sort of freedom because he just never gave a shit. And now Fox news needs him because he, he has the yeah. best ratings in the world or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's by far, I mean, that's one of the things that's really interesting about him is it's, it's, it's like the only news show that people are actually fucking yeah. watching. And the only one that they should watch right. if they are on the left, like, like Anna and Dasha said, you know, or Anna said like a, year and a half ago or something like Tucker Carlson, the last leftist in America. Like there's something to that. Um, yeah. Well, even if he, even if you, you only see him as a propagandist, it's at least nice to see a propagandist who's good at his job. You can't say that of anybody on the liberal networks or anybody else on Fox news, really. Like well, at least he knows how to like present a narrative that's like engaging. So, I but know. I think it's more po- like the politics are better to like objectively better. Like, from the left perspective, he's kind of anti-capitalist. He's certainly anti-war. Um, he's pro-Assange. Like he's taking positions that you just can't say out loud. And mm-hmm. the reason he's so popular is just because they they removed Trump from American life. And so Tucker's just sort of like filling in for Trump. That's what it seems like to me, because he takes roughly the same positions. I mean, Tucker's not yet fully for Medicare for all, but that's probably coming. Um, and like the, I think it's interesting kind of in retrospect, like thinking about how, you know, everybody sort of knew everybody on the right, on the left, whatever, apolitical people, independents, 
that Bernie Sanders was the answer. But like as soon as Bernie Sanders started to like repeat the company line, everyone forgot about him because he's irrelevant. And like same thing with Rogan, like Rogan was challenging things that he thought were bullshit that people agreed with. And then he's persona non grata until we invaded Ukraine. And then, you know, Putin's the bad guy now. And so what I'm saying is like, if there's a sort of modicum of hope, it's that obviously people understand in a pretty like sophisticated level who does and does not have their best interests at heart. Like people don't watch to your, you know, people don't watch CNN because it's fucking bullshit. They know it's like state TV. They don't give a fuck. Like I think there's there. And there's so many signs that we're in this kind of late Soviet period of American empire um yeah I brian mean, brian mentioned hypernormalization, and there's that section where it talks about the initial collapse of the soviet union where everybody just kind of continued going on about their business as if nothing had gone wrong and i'm seeing a lot of that um i think it almost feels like being out in public right now i'm seeing people eat out more and like buy more stupid shit and it's almost like they know subconsciously that like this is like maybe the last round of them getting to do that before they're going to start eating fucking like cabbage and potatoes for like the rest of their fucking life. And as far as uh, like healthcare and the right wing goes, I've talked to some folks from in my family who are entering the age where you have to start like thinking about assisted living and shit like that. And I think they just never properly absorbed the information when they were younger that below a certain income threshold, the system is going to take you for every fucking cent. Right uh that you have and they're gonna take anything that's left over away from your kids uh just so you can have like a decent standard of living in later life and they're clearly pissed off about it i mean it was always there for them to look at but i think it i think it's taking the boomers having to go into senescence to like realize that it's a fucking problem well at least that's been my experience yeah i agree like um well, it's like Matt Chrisman said on Chapo that like boomers have no concept of their own death, which does. And he's like, that doesn't mean they're not going to die. Obviously, they will. But they're just they've just been operating for so long. You know, like Tim Dillon said, like they've had like literally no problems their entire life. Like and Chrisman was like, they're the only generation in human history who's had like this sort of like. Uh, Tim, as Tim Dillon pointed, he quoted it was Al, he was t- uh, Alec Baldwin was talking about Jerry Seinfeld's comedy career. And he's like, he's like, you've had a boulevard of uninterrupted green lights. Like that's the boomers entire experience of their whole lives. So a lot of them went from like uh, having no, they, they went from being born before there was television to just like having the best standard of living of any generation in human history. Um, so why would you, and their Pluto was in Leo. So why on earth would you think that you could ever die? You're a God unto yourself, but yeah, they're now hitting the wall where biological life is kicking in. And like, to your point, like my dad died. So my mom started like getting all morbid and was like, uh, you know, Oh, we got to see the lawyer and I got to put all this shit in your name. And so I was like, oh, put, do a living trust because I assumed in a trust they, they, they can't come for your assets. And the lawyer was like, no, it, they don't. It doesn't matter. They go back five years and they'll take everything. And it's just oh, like I, I just learned that through my, my new uh, Panopticon job. 
yeah. Uh, that yeah, basically, yeah, whatever's not spent down just goes to the fucking government. You're right. So I told in, her in to a start, lot of in a lot of situations anyway. So I told her to start buying gold because you can hide that. But you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, now I kind of now it's almost like yeah, do the fucking reverse mortgage. Who gives a shit? <laughs> They're gonna take it all in the, in the end. Um, but yeah, so you're I assume that you're right but again it's only because it's beginning to affect them personally like their their relative comfort levels like they can they can conceive of it diminishing for reasons outside of their power um so now they have an issue with it they didn't have an issue with it for the last 40 years when we were burning the country to the ground uh and like creating this situation um but now they have a problem with it like yeah i don't disagree that they're the worst generation but at the same time, they do have the highest lead poisoning levels. And they were also there at like the prime phase of like Hollywood being like a social engineering tool and stuff like that. Not saying we should have mercy, but I just feel like I, I sort of understand where they're coming from. Like they're, they have a real blunted edge, I think, compared to the generations that came after and before them. I don't buy that for a second. And mostly I say <laughs> that because they were the hippies. They were the ones who were supposedly anti-establishment through and through and like the radicals and the new left. And then but like, there was lead in the water. <laughs> Joe, you will not be letting <laughs> boomers off the hook on my watch. Okay. okay that's, that's fine. You don't, you don't I won't. <laughs> um, well, they certainly act like they have lead poisoning. I'll say that, but uh, yeah. Any, anyway, like the, the problem, but that they sort you know, I, of course, in the gasoline too. <laughs> initially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, people in Yemen have leaded gasoline and they're not this fucking stupid. Yeah, um, that's a good point. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> oh, so the the boomers. The, oh, yes. I was going to say, I used to not be like, oh, the generations are the problem. That seemed reactionary. No, they are the problem. And the reason is because they control all the fucking wealth. Like they have all the money, which means in, in aggregate, they have all the leverage. And so if, you know, again, I've said this before, but like the, the, the greatest thing anyone has said in our generation is the Patreon episode where Tim Dillon's talking about, you know, the way to solve the only way to solve the housing crisis is he's like, are we going to have to go door to door and pull these boomers out into the street and murder them? Like, mm -hmm. which because there's we'll never be able to build enough houses and they won't die um but he goes it goes further than that and it's fantastic but uh <clears throat> the point being like that's sort of like a microcosm of like where things stand you know the nothing will become a problem until it becomes a problem for boomers and i don't i think they're too insulated by all their aggregated wealth even you know moderately middle-class boomers like it's very baffling to me to look around and seeing like millennial or older millennial people like my age or you know so like uh mid mid 30s to mid 40s by like they they're living like they have boomer money and they don't it's just debt-based um mm -hmm. and they're just sort of like I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. But like, I don't understand how you would build wealth in this economy unless you're sort of insulated in a very specific way, uh, which isn't many people. So the 
we're, we're probably going to like dive headlong into the apocalypse out of pure inertia, but it's because of this very particular structural arrangement where millennials are too poor to be able to create any leverage and boomers are too dumb or malicious to give a shit enough to try and change anything before it's too late. And that's where it's like, I mean, that's its own sort of deadlock, I guess. Um, but like, I don't, how do you, how is it disruptable? Like, you know, obviously I think it's good that Amazon's unionizing people and it seems to be kind of moving, you know, and Starbucks is unionizing all these people, but I also kind of am suspicious of Chris Smalls. Like he's, he's a little too flashy Mm -hmm. for a labor organizer. And I understand we're in a new generation and shit, but I also feel like somebody like that could be corrupted pretty easily. And like Mm -hmm. the history of the labor movement in America is bureaucratization and like reflexive corruption, which was cool back in the day when they were competing with the CIA for who got to control the mafia. Like at least then you had a chance of having real leverage. Uh, But these people, these fucking dorks who are heading up the labor movement by and large, wouldn't have the balls to employ the kind of violence you need to sustain a militant labor movement. Mm -hmm. And the other pathetic thing to me is like, how, how, why did it take 20 fucking years for these people working at Starbucks to realize you only had to unionize 10 people to get your whole store on board? Like that's not new fucking information. It's just that millennials are pathetic. Like we're like so stupid and self-involved, like at least with boomers, they're them being self-involved contained a kernel of like, well, we should try to overthrow the system, even in a stupid way. We should have a cultural revolution. Millennials are like, you know, I, we're too like insular in like, our, our Pluto's in Scorpio. Yeah. So we're just going to burrow self-destruct and yeah Yeah, do like drugs but not even in a cool way just like be like pussies and so yeah like i I of course have said for a long time the only hope is the zoomers um but i'm losing faith in that very quickly like you know everyone's functionally illiterate um zoomers are kind of they've they've sort of adopted like this there was still some sense of a subculture, at least in the early years of millennial kind of coming of age, uh, the, the, inter- the social media wiped that out. But with the Zoomers, it's sort of like I can't really t- I don't think they give a shit about anything, you know, in a sense. And uh, at least not yet in the, their sense of style is this repurposed 90s stuff, which isn't even, you know, they, they make it look better. But it's like, listen, I lived through the 90s. If you are going to have. Um, like you don't get to have Nirvana without Papa Roach. Like they're being disingenuous about what really went on. Like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I don't know what the point is. Um, I'm more and more like, uh, you know, like what were they saying on true and on recently? Like convinced that the internet is just a DOD psyop. Like, I think (laughs) that's, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're right. I mean, if you're asking about what we have to do, like if you want a serious answer, it's we find Epstein snuff tapes and we like hijack a TV network and play them. No, but I mean, like, yes, that's accurate. Like, so it would be like, um, you know, the ideal 
they should make another Joker movie, but not like like the the Barry Keough or whatever his name is, Joker, this new one or the Leto one where he just the let see people get mad at the Jared Leto Joker because he was mean to Harley Quinn. And it's like, no, you don't understand. The Joker's not a cool guy. Like he's like yeah. a piece of shit, but he's also funny. So he's like, you know, has a sort of Trumpian vibe. Um, but like, that's the only, you know, like at least aesthetically, uh, that would be the solution would be to do what you're saying where it's just like, Oh, it's just a prank, bro. And then you like take down all the server farms in one blow. It, and, and then all you have is like TV stations. And then you just, yeah, you play the Epstein snuff tapes with Bill Clinton, like eating babies or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Because I mean, th there is some dimension of like that's the necessary. Even Zizek says a version of that where he's like, "We should organize all these hackers and whatever to just take over the internet, and like that's how you get a revolution." Uh, that's how Trotsky won the Russian Revolution was you just take over the infrastructure. Um, and I I don't know, like I mean, it's because like I know, but you know, like it's sort of baffling, like how it, it, at the very moment social media was emerging as like a potent social force you know obviously for the worse in the end like you did have the rise of anonymous in its political form which was assange engineered that directly he went and found those people and you know got them pilled on whatever and it was working and it probably was fucking up the power structure and so the of course the fbi went in and just took everyone down and locked him in a fucking <clears throat> closet for 10 years um like but like yeah what i but i that being said i still i don't understand why the left wouldn't continue to try and like push in that direction like and it's probably the cowardice you're describing like it's literally the fact of like not knowing how to turn a wrench or something like it might be yeah. as dumb as that um like that's where like i'm always it's always depressing to me when i encounter people who count themselves on the left well i should say white people uh people of color are not as uh, obscene and ridiculous and stupid because they actually face real problems um but like these people call themselves the left and you realize they're just sort of like liberals with different patches on their sleeves or something uh there's not a sense of like militancy there's no sense of history um and when I say people are functionally illiterate, I know I've told you this, Joe, and probably you too, Brian, but like, you know, they did a study and you know, functional literacy is basically where you, you can read at a high school level, you can read a white paper and you can identify the arguments and critique them. That's 2% of the population you can do that. Um, so this propaganda system is like, it's so all encompassing. Uh, like the rise of TikTok is really terrifying and not for like a boomer reason, but because like it's the most addictive algorithm ever. And it's full of like, it's pure nihilism. Like there was never anything good about Twitter, except that things were funny. Sometimes <laughs> Facebook's obviously a disaster, but like TikTok is just literally nothing. You're just yeah, being fed I, nothing. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have a kind of a younger friend who I was hanging out with one time. And we were just, we had, we were in a situation, we had to kill some time. And like, she started showing me, she's really into TikTok and she showed me some TikTok and I was transfixed for what could have been 20 minutes or an hour and a half. And I'm not <laughs> sure. And I was never sure. And also as soon as it was over, 
I know I was entertained while watching it, but I couldn't recall one fucking thing that we watched. Like literally, right. like not one part of the content mm-hmm. stuck with me, even in my short-term memory. Right. And I mean, yeah. and they're the, watching hours and hours of the shit every day. Yeah. And I am too, probably, but just like I use Facebook Reels, which is like the trailer trash TikTok, and like <laughs> it's it's just a lot of shit ported in from TikTok and then a lot of like worse content. Um and it's yeah, just because it's so addictive. Like you can't if you touch it, it's you're fucked. You're done. And then like I like things are so bad that now I'm like, I want to go on Instagram because there's at least there's hot girls on Instagram. And so I go on to Instagram reels or whatever it's stories. And at least it's just you can train it to just show you hot women yeah. endlessly. But like <laughs> it's still nihilism, you know, yeah. like I'm not saying well. It's just more comforting in a way. Yeah. I heard somewhere, somebody said something along the lines of everything starts making a lot more sense. If you uh, realize that media today is meant for people on Adderall, maybe even you said that to me, but uh, that's really stuck with me. And I was actually thinking about that during this fucking Batman movie as well. Mm -hmm. Like for someone to pay attention to this, you'd have to be like sort of on something. (laughs) You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it, it was so incoherent that it's you can't. I couldn't keep my eyes on the screen except for Zoe Kravitz, like I said. But if you're on Adderall, you can pay attention to fucking anything. No, that's a good point. That's actually a more coherent, uh, concrete, materialist version of neurocapitalism than Berardi even outlines mm-hmm. in that book. Like I think, I mean, he he hints at that that like yeah. the medication, but it's. I think what I mean, you're I saying think, is. Like, yeah, more I, think he and, I think he and Burroughs and like Huxley and a bunch of others were all cognizant of like what the elements of this current hellscape that we're now like inhabiting would be. But the exact configuration of it was only going to emerge organically. Like there was no really real way to, pre- to prepare for this fucking shit show that we're all dealing with right now. Well, especially since like, I mean, agreed, but like if you read Naked Lunch, which is like, there's a lot of, I mean, that's probably. That might be the best novel of the 20th century in a certain from a certain light. Um, yeah, but like I would agree. It, yeah, it but like what's really interesting about it beyond the obvious is that like there's this epilogue where he goes from this kind of surrealist uh pastiche stream of consciousness thing uh about being like gay and on heroin to this very kind of analytical uh accounting of like what function the drug trade serves the power structure and how it's like all linked and interconnected whereas like somebody like ginsburg who i don't have a huge problem with but like he was trying to do the it was like he was trying to do what burroughs did in prose using kind of like uh poetic trickery and it kind of failed at its own cause um but like take somebody like burroughs and then take somebody like david cronenberg like all this stuff it seems really interesting and kind of an intense and amazing um but then you're like oh like there's a way in which you can see it as just paranoiac bullshit Mm -hmm. um but now we know the cia was doing much crazier shit than even those people sort of like staged and so uh, to your point, like 
or what I'm trying to get at is like the, that maybe we've been looking at it backwards uh, culturally, not us, but I mean, just in general, whereas it's like, Oh, the, you know, the way that we think about, or the way that it like um, pharmacology, like prescription pharmacology is talked about is like, at most it's like, Oh, the psychiatrists are trying to control it's social control. But really I think what it is, is it's more the reverse where you can't sustain, like it's impossible to sustain your sanity in a world like this without the drugs. Like, so it's, it's not that they're using the drugs to control us. I mean, they, I, you know, they are in a certain, to a certain degree, but it's more that like the drugs are the necessary supplement to endure uh, neurocapitalism. And the, again, these are conclusions that a functional left would have come to a long time mm -hmm. ago and just taken for granted. Like if anybody was actually a materialist, they would have been saying this all along, but because everyone's turned into a woke fucking retard because the CIA engineered it that way. Um, and they don't want to admit that they got fucking fooled. <clears throat> Here we are. Uh, it, and like, you know, that's why this whole ethic of self-care, like the Foucauldian shit run amok is just like, what difference does it make? I mean, there's that Woody Guthrie song or uh, what's it? It's um, union prayer or something where he's like, basically pr praying won't kill the KKK, you know, praying isn't going to do anything like yeah. effectively, like you have to go to war. Um, where is that ethic anywhere? Like it, it's nowhere to be found. Like you have to go back to the thirties. You have to go mm -hmm. back to a time where in the South, people thought that they, they thought there was no such thing as a white communist because they only knew black communists, like people who are willing to get murdered uh, for, you know, trying to organize farmer unions or something like that's like, I mean, it sucks that Adam Curtis's movies are so shitty in, the, in, in some sense, because he is right when he says like, you know, we have to kind of return to something like the civil rights movement where people are getting killed for a cause and you'll never know their names. Like that's yeah. something we can't imagine. Like Brady Sinellis said when he was writing less than zero in high school in the, in the early eighties, he couldn't imagine anyone ever reading it. And now if you write fiction, that's all you're thinking about. Like, it doesn't matter how bad it is or whatever, like you can't, it's inescapable uh, because everything's so informed by you know, it's, it's already predetermined uh -huh. that this is the only reason you would write this thing, not ever having a sense of like, oh, this is so stupid that no one would ever read it or just not even, you know, having a sense of that external audience or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, I've actually been thinking about that book quite a bit because there's something about the emotional flatness of, of the characters and just the sheer sort of hedonistic nihilism of it that um, like it still feels really fresh. Like I think people talk about that book and some of his other books as being sort of remnants of the nineties. And I, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about Ellis in general, but that book in particular, uh, it feels more relevant now than, than when I first read it like a long ass time ago. Yeah. I think we read an article, an op-ed about it when I, you know, back when we were a couple of years ago trying to, bring the 90s back uh <laughs> by Ote what's her name 
She wrote uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. I can't remember. Otessa Moshfeg, I think. Yeah. And she wrote like a defense of Less Than Zero. And it was about how it was kind of this, like, not not as annoying as this, but sort of time is a flat circle thing where, like, she was singing its praises. um, And I can't fully remember the grounds on which she was doing so. But yeah, I mean, like the book, as you're describing, it's still shocking in its own right. Um, And he admits now that he didn't realize at the time how conservative its message was, which, but I I don't think he means that negatively. It's more just like, (laughs) it's bad to not give a shit about anything because you can get away with it. Um, But also like, I mean, there's scenes in that book that would never, you couldn't get published now, like where they're, basically doing these teenage these like vampiric teenagers let uh, bourgeois teenagers let loose are like basically doing like ritual sacrifice of like 12 year olds you know that they're mm-hmm. f- raping and murdering um and it's just like a part of their life and so but in reality i mean we know now that is sort of like what the ruling class is fucking doing so yeah. It's just, it's just, he said the loud part or the quiet part loud or something. Um, Yeah, I I don't, there, there's some, that's why, like, well, any, oh, that's what I was going to say about the Cronenberg uh, thing or Burroughs or whatever is like, I think there's like, I think a really prescient film uh, is existence which is like not one of Cronenberg's well-known movies, but it's very much like sort of like if that was the sort of dystopic uh, like neuro techno future we had, it would be much better than what we have now um, where you're Jack completely jacked into this system and with this weird biological uh, interface and you're playing this game that you don't realize that you're in, but at least the emotions you have are real. Um, what we have is much worse than that. And like, that's the thing I think, I think in some respect, like Musk is, I mean, it's perfect that he's this sort of monster emerald mining magnate who bought a company and the, he, he's not actually a founder of and never invented anything and all like, that's fine. It's a good prank and a nice troll and everything. Um, but it's perfect in the sense that like he, at least, he's at least dumb enough to want like a sci-fi future. Whereas these other techno people realize that that's all just bait for people. And all they really want is this kind of like neo-fascist, neo-feudal Peter Thiel, uh, Nick, Nick land kind of necro capitalist future that is only about like vampiric power Musk is trying to at least stage the notion that we should have cool looking trucks and actually be jacked into the matrix, but it can't work. Like we're not there yet technologically. Um, And I'm not saying that makes him subversive. It's more like he's too dumb to realize what the real game is and just pretends continues to go on pretending by keeping yes men around him that, that he, that, like what they claim they want is what they actually want because it is what he wants. Cause he is a stupid nerd. Yeah. I, I guess if I were to try to find any 
signs of hope in the current situation. It's that there are eccentric, idiotic uh, tycoons. Because that right. was fairly uh, characteristic of the progressive era as well. Mm. Um, something I've been thinking about a lot. Recently. Yeah, the to that sign of hope too, and maybe bringing this all together. I was going to say, I, I, someone mentioned the politicization uh, of the right and the working class. And we see that in January 6th, uh, all that kind of stuff. I feel like, you know, Joe, you're right that that's the kind of thing that liberals sort of, you know, get all anxious about and they're nervous um, and they don't want to talk to these people. Can't turn a wrench and all that, too. But I see that as a sign of hope because it means if those if those folks are politically savvy enough and aware to know what's happening on the ground and that they're being bucked right by the economy and all that again there's an opening there where if someone on the left were just smart enough to try to get organized or talk to these folks i think you could pull them over you could get to the trotsky point the plumbers and the engineers and the farmers uh like and bring them onto our side and then they would control the infrastructure and the food and then we'd have a system that's somewhat livable right and um we just yeah. again whether i'm the guy to do that or, or us i don't i don't know i don't have the solution but i feel like there's a there is a solution there. We just need to, and to your point, talk, talk to these folks and try to just convince them here's why Medicare for all is necessary and valuable and cheap, right? Et cetera. Yeah. I mean, the only thing to speak to that point, I could see the only thing I could see uh, getting like middle class and like working class people to talk to each other mm -hmm. and realize that their interests are at least to some extent the same, mm -hmm. at least in relation to uh, the classes situated above them. Uh, it's going to be scarcity. Like um, it's going to have to be some sort of material lack mm -hmm. that may or may not be uh, brought about by, I don't know, the inflation situation we're in, um, you know, the problem with various problems with natural resources mm -hmm. and, and shit like that um and I, I think just a lot of shit that the rich have done in the last 20 years there were immediate negative effects of them hoarding the wealth and keeping people in the dark and you know uh <laughs> the all the epstein shit that we've been talking about um but i feel like that's a lot of the negative effects of that's going to be kind of like a slow burn and people aren't going to like wake up until there's just not bread on the fucking shelves. So here's hoping. Well, the problem with that is that it's never going to hit here first. So like that's what happened in the Arab spring. And they never talked about that is that like they figured out why the Arab spring happened because there's this 500 year drought and there's no wheat crop and they weren't, they weren't integrated within the sort of Russian American uh, grain system where we overproduce by like orders of magnitude. Like the U.S. grows enough food to feed 11 billion people every year. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, people starve. But <clears throat> so that's what like set off the Arab Spring. And I mean, the Arab Spring is like even if you think that the Arab Spring was a CIA op, which I think that's a little bit of a reach. Um, people who get into that, like on the left, it's just like. Are you just mad that they outperformed you? Because that's what it seemed like happened. Um, I, I agree with you. Although I would say that it kind of became a CIA up over time. I don't think it started out as long. That's it. okay. Why? What? Why? Like just roughly. Like I'm curious. Oh like, uh, yeah, I shouldn't even spoke on that because I just don't have. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm just, I mean, I'm I'm just saying that I think probably uh, the intelligence agencies saw an opportunity to get a foothold in power and they did what they normally do, just co-intel pro shit. Oh, yeah. So, 
you know, if the argument is therefore you have the Syrian civil war that all the great powers benefit from. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, um, that's, that's all I meant. And so, but the problem, like, like, uh, it's always going to hit the middle East first and then it'll hit maybe Africa and then it'll hit Ukraine or something like, so like, I think the, there's an argument for scarcity. The problem, the problem is the same problem. Like Zizek says, like, unfortunately desperation doesn't breed a revolution. It, uh, what breeds revolution is you give people a certain standard of living and then you take it away. Mm -hmm. Like that's why the Watts riots happened because the air conditioning went out and they were kind of middle class. That's kind of what I have in mind, though, just because Americans oh, are yeah. even even the poorest Americans um, can oftentimes have access. I mean, they just drink a fuck ton of soda or just like watch a lot of TV. And a lot of that stuff really is at risk of going away uh, in, with the supply in, chains and the supply or... chain, the supply chains and just the projections in the future. There's supposed to be a, a massive like fertilizer shortage uh, soon. Uh, the war in Ukraine is causing a lot of issues. I mean, if you if you can right. believe what you read about that shit but um, yeah right that's true so to that point then like this is a point i was making to the comrade in question uh, last week i was like it's true that man-made climate change is real and that that will ultimately eat our lunch but the paradox is or maybe the dialectical point is the things that actually are blowing up right now like when the when florida had all that like red algae that was like destroying all the beaches and all the sea life that was not because of an aggregated effect of climate change that's because they were dumping poison into the ocean and then the algae were eating it and then it was like creating this nightmare scenario or like why is the amazon amazon rainforest burning it's not because of aggregated climate change it's because bolsonaro set it on fire literally um or like and so with this uh so to your point we might get food shortages in the U.S., but not because of climate change, because we put sanctions on Russia and force the Ukrainians to stop making the fertilizer or selling it to Russia. And then and then you have food shortages, not because we can't do it because we're intentionally not doing it. Um, and I think that, yeah, like so. But to the question of like a sort of an, an image of a direct solution, this is not adequate to the task, but I think uh like the point Zizek's made often about like how the reason that the that movie that terry gilliam movie brazil is good is because of that de niro character where you have these people like they tap the phone lines when people make service calls and then they go and in a guerrilla fashion solve the problem fix the plumbing before the bureaucrats get there and that's the real threat to power is they undermine the notion that the bureaucracy is effective at all um, this was a point I made to someone like, I think last year who was in DSA, but who is not a complete idiot. And I was like, I think actually what we should be trying to do is like going, and I probably said it on the show, but going around like punks in an eighties movie in a van, trying to start trouble and see what you can get away with. Like the, you know, the fact that like, I mean, this is something positive about that Amazon unionization is like, if you read the Jacobin article where they describe why they won, it's very good because it's just basic organizing where it's just like, don't listen to management, just continually go in there and fuck with them. Even after you get fired, like, it's just a bunch of pranks. 
It's how Trump got elected. It's just a prank, bro. It's how you get the Russian revolution. It's just a prank. So like if we, uh, and, and what I'm saying is with the Amazon thing is like, it's not complicated. It's not even that hard. You just have to have a little bit of resolve and kind of like, you know, honestly, like that Robert De Niro attitude of like, like when he shows up in Brazil the first time at the protagonist's house, he's like, are you with the, the, the council or whatever? He's like, no, no. He's like, he's like, we move quicker than that. He's like, you know, we're in, we're out. It's qu-. he's like winking at him and being kind of ridiculous. Like that Amazon unionization, they're saying this is the greatest like victory in American labor in like 80 years or 50 years. It's just like, that's <laughs> obscene. Like that's the best yeah. you got. Like, and this is, I actually made an argument in 2013 that what the left should be trying to do is uh, to outperform the labor unions to go in and organize those people better than the labor unions can manage to do. And that will disrupt things. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, that's what we saw with the teacher strikes too. Those were wildcat strikes by and large, and they were much more effective than the teachers unions. So like there is some dimension of, that kind of Hegelian dialectical thing of like, you have to kind of like, you have to kind of like try to beat the ga- the system at its own game, even if that's like the traditional left. Um, but the way to do that is not to become a tanky and say, we are going to lead a glorious charge on horseback and like defeat, like, imperial china or something like that by you know with a maoist cultural revolution like we can't keep borrowing from a past that's dead uh we have to do better than that in in terms of like we have to be more fluid we have to be more revolutionary like and and i'm not saying we shouldn't be reading those texts because there's a lot of useful shit in there like if you read if the my point is like Leninists are not Leninist at all. Like if you read Lenin, what he said to do is to show up to a factory, talk to the workers and they tell you what they want. Then you write that on a piece of paper, come back the next day and say, here's our program. Please join us. So you just hand them back what they already told you. Like you have to be more cunning than these people are willing to be because they've made themselves stupid because they're in a fucking cult by and large, whether that's a woke cult or a tanky cult or whatever. And the, so like, there's maybe, maybe we have to abandon kind of even the notion that like, there's going to be a singular answer to this beyond just like Zizek's, you know, uh, suggestion of a kind of principled opportunism, like just where do you live? What can you get done? What can you leak? Who can you organize? Who can you piss off? What can you get away with? Because you might be knocking on open doors. And I don't think, and these aren't like terribly complex or novel ideas, but with a leftist retarded and, you know, self-cucked, you know, what, what are the, like, I have to say these obvious things to even be sensible. Yeah, I I would actually, and it sounds strange, but uh, as far as you talking about Leninism, or like Maoism or whatever. I think like one of the most important steps is dropping like the the kitsch, the like the just wearing like a jokey uh, sickle and hammer shirt and, and, and all that shit. I know it sounds like lame or, or like small potatoes or whatever, but it, it's I I really do think there's something about that that portrays a sort of lack of of seriousness mm-hmm. um, and and just it's larping, you know, like right. the left has to start stop larping. 
No, it, and that's again, this is like millennial malaise or whatever is like we are the LARPers. Like, mm-hmm. and it started because we thought we had a LARP as hippies or something. And then we like drop that. And then it's just like, it becomes this, this self-referential. I don't know. Like, I feel like honestly, Gen X nerds were more dignified in some respect because at least they knew that they weren't cool. Um, Like yeah. they just were into stuff and like, it was not this public display, but now like they're like, I, I think the worst cultural outcome of millennials is the notion of fandom that like the idea that you would proudly say, like, this is how I identify myself with a community of people is that we both, we all like star Wars. Like that is the most disgusting and pathetic, like excuse for a life that I can imagine. Um, And they do this shamelessly. Like I, I probably think I've talked to you about this, Joe, but like, watching the documentary about bronies like the the dudes who like my little pony <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny it is, I, i've i've watched that i i watched i watched it with a girl like a long time ago it's just terrifying yeah like it, they, was, it was terrifying <laughs> uh absolutely nightmarish like uh, the you know honestly even watching the furry documentary those people as humans are more terrifying because they're fascist gay dudes uh almost exclusively but like the bronies like it was it was like this is where i'm going to like plant my flag and this is what is meaningful to me and it's it's this very it's not even that it's dark it's that it's like it's it's emotionally autistic like it's not autistic exactly it's that there's numbness about it yeah it's like dressing up as a bat and beating up juggalos on the subway exactly Bring uh, ra- circle. rather than like and and this is the thing about that scene too is as i was contrasting it with joker which is like the great the glorious part about that is he was able to hide in the crowd because they're all wearing the same mask he's wearing a mask of himself and that allows him to be you know to elude capture or whatever whereas like batman should have been joining the juggalos like that that should have been like you know what should have he he should have been maybe not joining them beating up other immigrants but like trying to sort of short circuit the problem rather than uh you know just getting his rocks off being an incel so that he could drive his car into heather higher or something well yeah brian mentioned the loose narrative end from that scene uh where that guy looks scared and he runs off i thought they were going to borrow from the dark knight returns where he uh, turns the whole gang of mutants uh, into like individual Batman that help him at the the end of the story, uh, but that's that would that's something that would happen in a in a good movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're not allowed to watch good movies anymore. Like I. Seemingly, yeah. I mean, like, look at the. I, I, we we don't have to like litigate the Oscar slap because who gives a shit? But like, <laughs> um, the thing about like the worst part about the oscars wasn't the slap i mean that was just like annoying and stupid and sort of funny because chris rock was unfazed but like the worst part about the oscars was the they gave the best picture to the worst fucking movie like there was actually a good movie that came out last year it was called drive my car it was a japanese reimagining of like uncle vanya over three hours and it was very meditative and contemplative and fantastic but why didn't they give that best picture? Not because it wasn't the best movie, but because they'd already given Parasite best picture 
you know, two or three years ago and they can't get away with, they can't admit that the only good movies left are Asian movies. If they do yeah. that, then they're fucked. And it or at least that American movies are fucking trash right now. Right. And, and yeah. it's not even like, you know, you could make sort of a reactionary political argument if it was keeping Chinese movies from winning Best Picture, but they're not. It's Japanese movies. It's Korean movies. So, like, there isn't even, like, an imperialist angle for us to be doing this. It's just simply, like, seen as undignified. I mean, and, like, Jessica Chastain winning Best... I mean, the real problem with that Will Smith thing was that he won Best actor i mean he's not he's a terrible actor with the exception of like my working class friend pointed out if there's any will smith movie that he should have won best actor for it's i am legend which is 100 true that's like his only good performance in anything um but like jessica chastain won best actress for the eyes of tammy faye i listened to her son's podcast because he's like this kind of like left-wing christian guy and uh he was like the the movie isn't even accurate he's like xyz thing that didn't even happen like and they were in talks with me about it and they still lied so it's like you know she's not a great actress anyway but i'm just saying like this whole thing is a fucking sham on its face but the sham is in this direction of like you say american movies are fucking trash so they're not worth watching but like we have to like keep the show going like the the idea that the will smith slap was like staged the only reason it's not staged to cover up for like Ukrainian war crimes, although that, you know, it was a nice opportunity for them to like do that. Uh, it just happened to work out that way. But the more compelling argument for it being staged is to take, you know, is to distract from the fact that the Oscars shouldn't exist anymore because the movies are so bad. Like no one deserves any of these fucking awards. Um, like Dune was terrible. Like that was not a good fucking movie and it won three Oscars. And it's like, this is it. Like this French Canadian director making a mediocre movie. Like that's the pinnacle of everything. Um, we don't deserve to be the hegemon anymore. Culturally, like Tim Dillon was interviewing this Ukrainian comedian uh, on air. And the guy was like, yeah, our culture shit. It's just shitty American culture or like even worse Ukrainian culture. And I think like that's what happens in the world is like this is kind of the best that there is. I mean, granted, like, you know, excluding what I said earlier about how apparently Asian movies are getting better than American movies, you know, and fine. Uh, But it's like what it's like, you know, you and I've talked about, Joe, like what novels are you reading? I'm mostly reading French novels now because like English novels are shit, except for a few. Um, Like what the fuck happened? And, and I don't, I'm not some, I'm not chauvinistic about America. It's more just like, we're supposed to be the cultural sort of touchstone, but it's all just falling apart, even at a pop culture level. And so we're left watching incel Batman fight incel Riddler for six and a half hours. I, uh, I, I was thinking about, um, to, to your point about American literature, I was thinking about the popularity of those Carl Nausgaard uh, books, My Struggle, um, that um, it seems to be the only thing that like people are really reading that much of right now, unless it's like sci-fi or like uh, fan fiction or some shit. And I oh, think God. it's just, I think it's just because it's an, like a very like dry, accurate portrayal of living in a civilized society where you won't come home <laughs> right. going to the hospital and shit. And you have space to like process your like feelings about things. 
you're not allowed to do that in America as we've just kind of outlined. Right. It's like we get the pedophilia of Scandinavian Germanic Europe without any of the like, yeah. like it used to be that, you know, like what's that? I haven't, I haven't read it, but like there's that novel where like you have social cohesion as long as like there's some kid being tortured in a basement somewhere. It's just like a dumb fable or something, but it's like the, the idea like, and it never was true. I'm not suggesting that it is, but like the kind of the like conservative argument would be like, well, at least the CIA kept order globally, even if they were like doing human trafficking and like running drugs for the Contras or something or to pay for the Contras. Now it's like, they're doing that like in, in seventh gear, a 200 miles an hour, but, we're forced we're forced to take Adderall and like numb our reality out because it's so horrific and like our only allowable social interaction is mediated through Mark Zuckerberg's autism 